Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is April the 27th, 2018. Spring sort of almost getting here, but boy, it's taken the long way around. I uh, hope you all had a great week. I thank you for joining me so we can play that uh, infamous game of catch-up at the end of the week. Um, much to talk about, but before we get started, I want to uh, welcome any new viewers, listeners, rather, and remind you that I am a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, the INS. And ever since 9-11, ever since those ashes landed on my home, on my family, on my community, and contained in part the remains, the ashes of my neighbors, I have been a man on a mission trying to get everyone to understand how significant secure borders are, how significant our immigration laws are, and to try to lay waste to the lies, the myths, the propaganda that somehow immigration law enforcement is about xenophobia and bigotry and racism when that's not at all the case. Our immigration laws were designed to protect America's national security, protect public safety, the lives of innocent people, and protect the livelihoods and wages of American workers. What could be more fair? What could be more reasonable? This is not a left-right issue. It's a right-wrong issue. And as we know, both sides of the aisle, both sides of the political aisle, are in on this scam that has laid waste to many American workers' jobs, particularly high-tech industries, not just the bottom rung, the jobs Americans won't do, baloney, nonsense that's insulting, uh, why we reelect these idiots is beyond me, except, of course, as Donald Trump said, the system is rigged, so we almost always get two lousy choices. Uh, I remember when I was uh, on a radio show at the time that McCain was running against Obama, I was asked who I supported, and I said, well, to my personal view, that was like asking me if I wanted cancer or a heart attack. I couldn't stand either candidate, being blunt but we don't have room for nonsense. And speaking the truth is not about being politically incorrect. It's about speaking the truth. And when people hide behind this notion of political correctness, that's another lie. It's Orwellian. It's control of thought through control of language. And that is what must be avoided at all costs. This is a game of intimidation. And folks, the stakes could not possibly be higher. Because hanging in the balance, America's future, the future of our children, the future of their children, the future of freedom, the future of liberty. If you're not free to articulate your thoughts, you're not free. If you are fearful that expressing your thoughts will subject you to God knows what, please don't tell me you are free. Now, we're not talking about hate speech, and, you know, hate is in the eye of the beholder. The problem that we have is that you have people who would love to censor us, to 
take from us the ability to articulate our thoughts, and the way they do it is say, well, it's hate speech. If you use the word alien, that's hate speech. Well, in point of fact, the DREAM Act, everyone seems to have forgotten it, but the A in DREAM Act was alien, alien minor. Suddenly this disgusting word, word that is linked with hate speech becomes entirely palatable, pushes an agenda. Then suddenly the word alien becomes acceptable, palatable, but only under those conditions. One of the things that I have discovered uh, being around as long as I have and having dealt with Washington is that not all but many politicians are the ultimate control freaks. They run for office so they can impose their will on as many people as possible. That's called tyranny. And the American public has been foolish. Our corporations have been greedy and foolish. Our politicians have been greedy and foolish. Breitbart recently reported that the um, Koch brothers referred to the dreamers as some of the best America has to offer or words to that effect. This is madness. Uh, this is not the case at all. It's a lie. But why in the world are they saying it? Because the Koch brothers are on the side of the corporations that want to drive wages through the floorboards. But yet the media has everyone bamboozled, or most of us bamboozled, into believing that immigration law enforcement um, is somehow unfair, unjust, terrible. Look, we have limited resources in America. With limited resources, you have to have, if you will, a form of rationing. So who gets the rations? Well, you start by giving the rations to your own, your own citizens. Families, when they ration, make sure their children are fed before they go to bed at night. The open borders globalist anarchists don't want that. They want to drive down the wages by flooding America with cheap, exploitable foreign workers, preferably, preferably from third world countries. Why? Why is that? Because people from third world countries, when they come to America, bring with them third world expectations of wages and working conditions. And this is perfect for dirtbag employers who don't believe that they owe anything to their workers to make their lives decent. Uh, look, America would not be successful without corporate leaders, without the inventors, without the entrepreneurs. No argument. But goodness gracious. When corporate executives are making four and five hundred times what workers on the factory floor are making, there's something wrong with the system. In the 50s, um, CEOs, if they made 50 times what their workers earned, considered themselves to be well compensated. The expectations of the corporate elite, of the one percenters or the tenth of one tenth of one percenters is that literally the sky is the limit. So the less that they pay to their workers, the more they pocket for themselves, and so it goes. And you see what brilliant leadership at outfits like GE have done with Jeffrey Immelt. That company is teetering on bankruptcy. I just read an article where they're looking to divest themselves of GE Rail. They're getting rid of lighting, which was their core industry, and appliances. What's going to be left? This is dead company walking these brilliant corporate executives that can't see beyond tomorrow's earnings statement have no long vision. 
when you read about China, and we need to read about China, and China is not an ally. I don't know how in the world we were corrupt and stupid enough to give the most favored trade status. Their plans go 35 years into the future. We're lucky if corporate executives can think more than 35 weeks or maybe 35 days into the future. The same with our politicians. So they have this long goal, long-range thinking, and the folks here in America are running around in circles thinking about tomorrow and next week and the next election and, and so forth. Well, if you don't have long-term vision, if you're myopic and nearsighted, you're going to crash into things. You're going to do harm and not just harm to yourself. So my program really focuses on immigration, but as we know, immigration is not a single issue but a singular issue because immigration impacts virtually every challenge and threat that American and America faces in this very perilous, perilous and um, difficult era. It's a tough era that we live in. It's a historic era. And we need to wake up, and the American people need to make the politicians accountable. Not left-right, but right-wrong. I'm sure you're familiar with my websites, but just to remind you, and for anybody who's new to the program, my own personal website, obviously my favorite, is Michael Cutler, one word, C-U-T-L-E-R, michaelcutler.net. I write for Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. I write for The Social Contract. Occasionally I contribute to Newsmax. Um, and I've been recently on NRA TV and also on One American News Network. They do good jobs of providing the information the mainstream media refuses to provide. And if you look at outfits like MSNBC, you know, there was a time shortly after 9-11 for the first couple of years that I would be on MSNBC sometimes multiple times in one day I was averaging 15 interviews on various television programs each and every month. MSNBC, CNN, Fox, ABC, everybody wanted to know what was going on. What do we do to prevent 9-11 again? And several years down the road, suddenly the globalists took hold. And all those networks, the exception occasionally Fox News, and Fox, to their credit, does bring on ICE officials and so forth, uh, Tom Homan, the Deputy Director for ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. But if you look at CNN, if you can look at CNN, goodness, or MSNBC or ABC, when was the last time you saw a true subject matter expert come on to discuss immigration? That's the issue. When there's a, a new satellite being launched or there's a new discovery about cancer, they bring in the scientists. They bring in the former astronauts. If there's an issue about military, there's no shortage of former generals, commandos, Navy SEALs, you name it. There they are. When there's a murder, they'll bring in retired homicide detectives. A kidnapping, no problem getting former FBI profilers. Immigration, oh, no, no. That's a separate category. Immigration is always, always, always treated separately from all other issues. Did you ever wonder why? Governor Cuomo issued an executive order in which he said that no state employee will ask anyone they encounter what their immigration status is. Now, this is remarkable, because although the media portrayed the lawsuit, if you remember it, that was filed by the Justice Department against Arizona over SB 1070, 
the Arizona immigration law that essentially paralleled federal law during the Obama administration. Uh, I provided an extensive declaration to that law firm that became part of the legal framework for their defense, including when they went before the Supreme Court. And the media had everyone believing that it was a rout, that the court ruled against Arizona. Well, not so quick. One of the issues raised, uh, that I raised, was whether or not law enforcement should have the right to question someone they encounter, not because they're looking for illegal aliens, but they do a car stop. Some guy just blew a red light. He can't speak English. He can't provide evidence he even owns the car, uh, that he has a driver's license. You want to know who this person is. Why is he not telling you who he is? Maybe he doesn't have a license, or maybe he knows he's a subject of an arrest warrant. Maybe he's committed murder. Maybe he's a terrorist. Maybe he's a member of the cartel. And I said that there's a number of reasons why law enforcement must have the right, the absolute right, to question people they encounter in the course of routine police business about immigration status if they, the police officer, becomes concerned about it. And here's the reason. Number one, officer safety. The cop that stops someone is putting his life on the line or her life on the line. You want to know who am I dealing with? This guy a fugitive. Is this woman someone who's wanted for a triple homicide? Maybe she's armed or he's armed. So immigration status is part of that person's identity. It goes to motivation. Motivation was the key issue, in fact, when a police officer was killed in New York City by an illegal alien who I had physically put on an airplane and we deported. I executed the judge's warrant of deportation by putting him on an airplane. He came back because of sanctuary policies in New York City. The NYPD could not tell immigration they had this guy in custody, even though reentry is a felony, not a minor crime. In fact, I worked with Senator Al D'Amato, if you're familiar with my work, back in the early 80s to make unlawful reentry by criminal aliens a 20-year maximum felony, not hardly a misdemeanor, 20 years in jail. Well, the belief was, and this is what I testified to at the murder trial, that this individual, when he was stopped by a 24-year-old police officer by the name of Robert Machadi, went for Officer Machadi's gun because he was concerned that if they found out that he had been previously deported, he knew he was going to go to jail. So to prevent that from happening, um, there's a battle for Machadi's gun on a street corner in Brooklyn. Bullets fly. Officer Machadi is shot to death. I testified at the murder trial. His wife was pregnant. He never got to see his daughter by a wacky accident, by coincidence, whatever you want to call it, 20 years later. I was in a supermarket. It started to snow. I zipped into an open line that just opened up to to get through the process quickly and go home before the streets turned to a sheet of ice here in New York. The young lady was wearing a miniature New York City police badge, a courtesy badge. I asked her about it. It turned out she was Officer Machadi's daughter. So the issue of that individual becoming panicked because he knew that if his identity and immigration status was discovered, that he could go to jail for years, became part of the case. So that officer has every right to know who did he just stop. He's thrown his hook into a very deep ocean. Now the question is, what fish did he catch? The other issue, of course, is community safety. Maybe the guy's a fugitive. If he flees, he's going to put people in that community at risk. And then you have your sworn obligation. You took an oath to uphold the laws. The laws aren't a menu. You're not asked, well, pick what you like. 
This isn't a restaurant. Well, I'll have soup, but I'm not feeling like salad today. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. You either sign on and with clarity of understanding, you either agree you're going to enforce all the laws or find a different way to earn a living. It's just that simple. You don't have an option to pick and choose the laws you want to enforce. You either agree that you will enforce those laws or you won't, period. It's a yes or no. It's a binary question. The Supreme Court upheld that section. They said they maintained that police officers have the right to question an individual they stop, not because they're looking for an illegal alien, but because that person came to interact with them for another reason. But once that issue is there, then the police officer has the right to challenge that person as to his or her immigration status. It's part of who they are. You have Governor Cuomo saying to police, don't you dare. Don't you dare ask about who they are. He's endangering state employees if they're law enforcement. He's possibly aiding and abetting illegal aliens and fugitives. He's undermining national security. And, you know, it's remarkable because what we always hear from the politicians, oh, they're violating the law. It's unconstitutional. So let's go to this notion of Governor Cuomo and whether it's constitutional or unconstitutional to enforce immigration laws. Article 4, Section 4 of the United States Constitution says the following. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. That's the Constitution, folks. We have millions upon millions of people in this country who were not invited in. They came across our borders, whether it was the Mexican border, the Canadian border, our 95,000 miles of coastline, or they came through an airport and refused to either obey the terms of their admission if they were lawfully admitted or came in without inspection by trespassing by running the border or coming in covertly along the coastline. I don't know about you, but I call that an invasion, especially when you look at the large numbers. And in fact, if you look at the dictionary definition of invasion, here are some interesting definitions. An instance of invading a country or region with an armed force. Well, if you look at MS-13 and the terrorists, you could make a case, couldn't you? But here, think of this one. An incursion by a large number of people or things into a place or sphere of activity, stadium guards prepared for another invasion of fans, or an unwelcome intrusion into another's domain. Okay? I would submit that when people run our borders, they are invading, they are infiltrating, they pose a threat. The 9-11 Commission made it perfectly clear that immigration, law enforcement, that border security is national security. Think about that. So you, you have the governor of the state that got hammered the worst on 9-11, making light of our immigration laws. So so let me read to you a statement that appears 
This is in the very first paragraph of the um, 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. This is the first paragraph of the preface. These are the first words you see after they explain who wrote it and so on and so forth. This is the beginning of the preface. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they are unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons that we discuss in the following pages that it must be made one. Think about that. Think about that statement. This is the 9-11 Commission. These were the attorneys and federal agents who worked with the 9-11 Commission trying to figure out how in the world they were able to enter the United States and go about their deadly preparations so that they could attack us. How in the world do you ignore that? And this isn't just about people running the Mexican border. That's the other nonsense that we keep hearing about. And the 9-11 Commission and the staff even talked about something known as interior enforcement. With all the talk about the Mexican border, everyone's forgetting something else, and that's the enforcement of the immigration laws from within the interior of the United States. So let me read to you something that appears in that same report. I believe it's around page 59. Thus, abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement for unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. <clears throat> Pardon me. It would remain largely unknown since no agency of the U.S. government analyzed terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant that critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. You have a governor, and I don't care what state you're from, but it's ironic, New York State, ignoring what the 9-11 Commission said about interior enforcement, obstructing people who work for him and telling them, don't you dare question anyone's status to be here. I can't get that image out of my head of Cuomo standing at the podium, thumping the podium and saying, I'm undocumented, arrest me. A little thug, arrest me. Hot shot. It was almost like a cartoon character out of a pretty pathetic movie. I'm the governor. I'm an undocumented. The term undocumented isn't political correctness, folks. It's Orwellian. And, and you know, it's just so remarkable because Chuck Schumer, one of the eight gangsters, Gang of Eight, that put up this nonsense, comprehensive reform. And, and by the way, this is both sides of the aisle doing this to us. Don't for a moment think, oh, it's the Democrats. You know, when they see comments to my article sometimes, oh, it's the Democrats, the Democrats, the Democrats. The Republicans aren't winners either. Okay? Reagan gave us the first amnesty. And, and, I, and I don't buy that statement. Well, he said it was a big mistake. I've yet to see it in writing anywhere. And why then did he also include a confidentiality provision that nobody knows about except those of us who worked at the old INS, the Immigration and Naturalization Service, where if I shared amnesty material with any other agency, I would have been committing a five-year felony. That includes the FBI, homicide detectives, 
didn't matter. If they came to me and said, I need to see this guy's file, if I showed them the amnesty provision, I was committing a five-year felony. Eventually, they loosened it up a little and said, all right, get a court order. Yeah, but there's a guy with an atom bomb. What do we do? Well, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I'm not going to commit a five-year felony. I don't want to go to jail, and I certainly don't want to lose my job and my pension. Who put us in that position? Ronald Reagan. Who started the nonsense, but don't use the word alien? Jimmy Carter. Bill Clinton did his thing. George W. Bush created DHS. And if you read, if you read what John Hostetler had to say, and John at the time was chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, a conservative, he was furious at Bush. He made the point that the way that they put the Department of Homeland Security together, instead of emphasizing immigration law enforcement, which was determined by the 9-11 Commission to be the number one most important factor in the attacks, the ability of terrorists to enter the country and hide in plain sight or in the language of the commission, embed themselves. Chairman Hostetler looked at the situation and said, the laws that should have been most heavily enforced and, and, and reinforced, if you will, the immigration laws were hammered. They took the agency, broke it into multiple components, and put people in charge who had no background and no inclination to enforce the immigration laws. And Hostetler's unfortunate but accurate, courageous conclusion was that the way DHS was put together violated the whole point to the Homeland Security Act, the enabling legislation, and as a consequence, our borders could not be made secure, and the immigration laws could not be enforced. And that was the obvious goal. And then, of course, we get to Barack Obama, and just saying his name, I think, tells the whole story. Think about DACA, and we'll get to that momentarily. So both parties have done this, and yet people write, oh, those Republicans and Democrats are this or that. Folks, both parties have the same goal. And when they fight about immigration, unlike other issues, it's like the old wrestlers I watched as a kid. You know, they were spraying ketchup on each other, but I was convinced they were bleeding to death. It's for show. It's for show. That's why the Republicans wouldn't vote for the border wall. You see, it's for show. The goal is keep the flood of illegals coming. Keep those H-1B visas coming. You have conservatives. I'm running for Congress we're not going to have any sanctuary in my town. I was looking at this one woman's website. She's running in um, California, I believe. No sanctuary anymore, but we do need lots and lots and lots more H-1B visas until, of course, the schools produce the engineers we need. Folks, there really isn't that kind of a shortage. Think of how many computer programmers have been fired, how many technicians have been fired, how many engineers have been fired. And adding insult to injury, they're told, well, we'll give you a very nice severance package, but first train your foreign replacement. What shortage? If you're firing people, please don't tell me you have a shortage. It's something no one thinks about, and I want you to think about this. How frequently, how frequently are we told that American kids just don't cut it. If you, if you look at the reading scores, the math scores, the science scores, you know, we play, I don't know, 28th in the world or something behind Latvia or God knows where. I'm not trying to pick on Latvia, but you know the point. Do you believe it? I don't. I'll tell you what's going on. No one thinks about this. 
we have millions upon millions upon millions of foreign students in the United States or kids born to illegal aliens. They may be, maybe they were born here, but they're not speaking English at home. The Center for Immigration Studies did a study about a year or two ago that found that something on the order of five, uh, one in five American families don't speak English at home. If you're a child in one in five American families where you go home and you speak something other than English, how prepared are you as that student to take a math, a reading, or a science test? That massive infusion of non-English-speaking students has trashed the cumulative average of our kids in school. We have brilliant kids in school. I'm proud of my own children. One is an engineer. One's about to be an engineer. Another has his master's degree, works with learning disabled children. Uh, my daughter is back in school getting her degree in English. Great education. Municipal schools, by the way. Municipal schools. I'm all for giving kids a free college education. And for those folks who get upset about it, too bad. I'm an American, my opinion. Uh, we have kids living in poverty. You have American families that have fallen from middle class to poverty through no fault of their own. If you want to get those kids into positions where they can be successful, they need to go to college. But let them maintain a grade average and let them take courses that are meaningful, not remedial basket weaving. That's what you do if you really think you have a shortage of engineers. But that's not what you're hearing. That's what you say to excuse it. You know, Oh, as soon as we have enough Americans, then we'll, we'll stop. No, they won't, because the point of bringing in H-1B visa holders from India is they will work for a third the wage of an American, and they will accept, expect no fringe benefits. What a deal. What a deal. We are flooding American colleges with foreign students. India leads the parade. China comes in number two with 152,000 STEM students. China is our adversary. They're building their military up, and every time I read it, DOJ, Department of Justice, press release about Chinese, uh, what am I reading? That they committed industrial espionage. They're very smart. They don't commit espionage usually against the military because then you go to jail for life possibly. But if you steal the secret from a company that's preparing the, the, the technology for the military, that's industrial espionage. You get a, relatively speaking, slap on the wrist, you know, five years in jail, and away you go. And we're educating our adversaries. China, Iran, and Russia most frequently hack American computers, private computers, corporate computers, law enforcement computers, government computers. So what are we doing? We're educating Chinese computer programmers. Brilliant. Brilliant. I believe it was Lenin who said the capitalists will sell you the rope with which you will hang them. We're having a fire sale on rope. So while Americans are fighting with each other, stupid Democrats, idiot Republicans, and on and on and on, the political crooks, forgive the redundancy, from both parties are robbing us blind of our lives, of our future, of our freedom. And worse still, they're doing it to our kids and to our children's children. That's why I do what I do, folks. Because someone needs to stand up and say enough. Someone needs to have the guts to confront the lies and the BS. Because the impact is irrevocable and it's profound. So now we get to this whole business. Um, by the way, I, I just, you know, this thing with Cuomo has got me so torqued. 
he was complaining that they're making warrantless arrests, which immigration agents have the authority to do. Cuomo also complained that immigration agents should be going to state, local law enforcement to tell them in advance when they're going to make an arrest, right, so they can warn them like we saw in California. By the way, why doesn't Cuomo say that to the FBI? Why doesn't he say it to DEA or ATF or the Internal Revenue Service? Why doesn't Cuomo say, hey, if you're a federal agent, go to the locals first, which there's no requirement, by the way. That's crazy. The federal government takes priority over the local government where law enforcement's concerned. But why immigration? I'll tell you why. Because if they know when the arrests are going to happen, they'll warn the illegal aliens. They should be in jail for it. I hope that that woman that did it in California gets prosecuted. I think she would look delightful in orange. But please understand what we're listening to, the lies and the nonsense. There's another bit of damage being done by Mr. Cuomo. And the damage that he's doing is to endanger the lives and safety of immigration agents. And that's just unforgivable. The number of assaults on law enforcement is up tremendously. Mr. Obama started the war on cops. And Mr. Cuomo is doing a war on immigration agents. The number of assaults on immigration agents across the country have more than doubled in the past couple of years. Do you wonder why? Do you wonder why? And they're whipping crowds of illegal aliens and their supporters into a frenzy vilifying ICE agents, saying, we're a country of immigrants. Of course we are. And as an immigration inspector, I admitted the great majority of people who sought to enter the United States. And again, I would argue we do a lousy job of screening people at the airport because nearly half of all illegal aliens didn't run the border, but they came through international airports, seaport, land border ports, and they disappeared. Obviously, we're not doing a good enough job of keeping out the people who intend to violate the law. It's kind of like the, the, the movie, you know, we have pre-crime. Um, you know, think about that. You, 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 don't, you don't know if the guy committed a crime. You're concerned, is he intending to violate the law? It's very difficult to do that. But, uh, you know, in Minority Report, the, the Tom Cruise movie, pre-crime, you know, we're going to arrest you before you commit the crime. It's a tough deal. So the problem that we have is that these folks disappear into the woodwork, and sanctuary cities provide them with, you know, the ability to do that. But I want you to think about a different kind of sanctuary that the illegals are getting, and it's by the federal government. Yeah, you heard me right. The federal government is providing sanctuary to illegal aliens. You know how? We've never hired an adequate number of immigration agents to hunt down aliens who violate the law. So even if you're in a city that's not a sanctuary, do you think you can go around and arrest everybody that you want to arrest or do the investigations you want to do? New York City has 37,000 police officers. There was a time we had well over 40,000. The Border Patrol is over 20,000. TSA, if I remember the statistic correctly, has well over 40,000 people, 45,000. Lots and lots of people, no shortage. We have 6,000 immigration agents, and half of them are doing customs work. So you might have 3,000 people doing interior enforcement. And again, I remind you, what did the 9-11 Commission say? Abuse of of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. 3,000 immigration agents after 9-11 enforcing immigration laws? 3,000. 
thousand? Three thousand. We have a population of three hundred and what thirty million people. We have forget the eleven million number. It's nonsense. We probably have thirty or forty million illegal aliens in the United States. The number of applications being filed for immigration benefits is astronomical, at least six million per year. And we have a grand total of three thousand ICE agents. Why? Because if you had more ICE agents, they might go after the employers. And then the employers would stop bribing the politicians with campaign contributions. The Koch brothers are pouring millions and millions of dollars into pushing the legalization of DACA aliens. And DACA is a smokescreen, because DACA really isn't about children. I don't care what the media tells you. So let me get to something that I want you to know, because no one talks about it, because no one has my institutional memory. I started with the INS in 1971. There was always a program known as Deferred Action, and that's the first two letters of DACA, Deferred Action. Now, what's Deferred Action? Well, we've always been very humanitarian in our approach, not only to our own citizens, but to foreigners who came to the United States. So let's say, for argument's sake, that a family comes to the United States from Colombia, from New Zealand, from Japan. I don't care where. Pick a country. Our immigration laws aren't focused on Mexico. Only the politicians and liars keep talking about Mexico as though it was the be-all and end-all. Mexico creates a serious problem that border must be secured. And from everything I've heard, I believe a wall is the best way to do it, at least along many of the stretches of that dangerous border. And I've been down to that border, and it's a hell of a place you don't want to be. But there's all these other components to what we're dealing with. So let's say you have a family comes to the United States, they're visiting with relatives, and their grandmother has a heart attack. Or they come to the United States, and one of their kids gets hit by a bus, and now he's in a coma lying in a hospital somewhere. And their visa runs out next week. Do you really think we're going to tell the family that's worried about their grandmother who just had a heart attack, oh, you've got to go home, you can't stay? Or tell the parents, leave your kid in the hospital, but get out of here. No, better yet, take the kid with you. This is America, folks. We're better than that. Much, much better than that. So what you do is the family comes into immigration. <clears throat> they bring with them a letter from the physician that's taking care of the sick relative. And then an agent might go out, and I've done this work. Again, I'm not... The people on TV don't want Mike Cutler on because I actually did the work and I know how it works. This campaign of disinformation, uh, my goodness, the last thing they want is somebody who did the job and knows how it works. So you might go out and interview the physician, and the physician says, yes, the child is in really bad shape. It's touch and go. You know, We don't know if he's ever coming out of a coma. Certainly for the next six months, I can't imagine um, if he survives that he'll get, be much better. He's not going anywhere, and if he does come out of the coma, he's going to need physical therapy. Okay. You go back to the office, you write up your report, and the family might even be able to get permission to work in the United States because very few people um, are able to go without earning a paycheck for a lengthy period of time. So you turn around, you say, okay, you can work. But it's contingent upon when the family situation resolves itself one way or the other. Hopefully the child recovers. Hopefully the grandmother gets past the heart attack. And then when everything is okay, they leave the United States and everybody's happy.
because we were humanitarian and compassionate, and the family at least didn't have to deal with immigration. And that's the kind of thing that makes me proud. That's what you expect the United States of America to do in that kind of an extreme situation. So Mr. Obama took this program of compassion and turned it into a political tool. And so he said, we're going to just drop a net over millions of people, potentially, and all they have to do is claim that they came before their 31st birthday. Now, that's the word you don't hear. Automatically on TV, what do they say? Well, these are kids. They came as kids. They came as kids. They came as children. We don't know. There's no capacity to interview them. Forget about doing a field investigation. How in the world do you figure out how long an illegal alien has been here if that person ran the border? They entered without inspection. They didn't enter undocumented. Nobody saw them. They didn't leave a record. And the adjudicator has a limited amount of time. They maybe want them to handle 12 cases a day, 15 cases a day. A denial takes days to write. You have to get evidence. You have to have an investigator provide you with a report. Usually investigators aren't available. It's a hell of a situation. So if you approve the application, it goes away. You wind up approving the application. We had that problem with the Reagan amnesty. We were told about a million illegal aliens were going to come out of the shadows. We wound up with between three and a half and four million. And what no one told you, again, the Reagan scam, just like comprehensive immigration reform scam, is no one is going to be there to look for the aliens who don't come out of the shadows. The aliens who know they're fugitives from justice, they're not coming out of the shadows, unless they believe they could convince us that there's somebody they're not, and then we give them official ID and a fake name, which was how the 9-11 hijackers and other hijackers operated. In fact, the 9-11 Commission found that in the aggregate, those 19 hijackers used approximately 360 false names or variations of false names. So one of two things happened. Either the guy says, oh, they don't have my fingerprints, I'm going to lie about who I am and when I got here, or they say, oh, I'm sure they know who I am, I'm just not going to step out of the shadows. But everyone is given this lie. Oh, they'll all come out of the shadows overnight and we'll know who everybody is. No way in hell. These are all lies. These are all lies. And consider how critical this is. On September 11, 2001, 19 hijackers who were in their 20s, they were barely out of their teens, inflicted more casualties on the United States of America in the heart of the United States. I know it's the coast, but it's the heart. Wall Street is the, the economic heart of America, the Pentagon, the heart of our military, and, of course, Pennsylvania, but God knows where that plane was headed, perhaps the Capitol, perhaps the White House. But those 19 men caused us more casualties on 9-11 than did the entire Japanese fleet cause us on December 7, 1941. Every single alien who manages to enter the country, legally or illegally, provides terrorists with that potential opportunity to get it right that one time they need to get it right. That's how serious this is. That's how serious this is. But you have Cuomo out there making all these false statements, vilifying immigration agents, and here we are. And you have DACA doing the same thing. These are all the false notions. This is about the children. This is about the kids, as Obama said, the young people. Nonsense. Now, understand that DACA 
was really a way of creating the DREAM Act that failed. Congress tried to pass the DREAM Act, then it got voted down. And Obama said, oh, Congress failed to act. No, Congress acted. They said, no, the parent that tells the child who hasn't done his or her homework, no, you can't go out and play, isn't failing to do his job as a parent. That parent is being responsible, saying to the kid, "Mm, no homework, stay in the house, do your homework. Congress said to the president, this is a lousy bill, we're not approving it. The president doesn't say, well, they voted it down, they failed to act. Lie after lie after lie. And do you know how many people have hit me with that lie? Well, if Congress had acted, well, if Congress had voted for bad legislation, understand the way the game is being played, folks. This is a serious game with serious consequences. And then you have people saying, well, why in the world... Is ICE arresting these people? They have no criminal convictions. So let's understand something. When I started to work for the INS back in 1971, I was an immigration inspector. In 1975, I became what was then called a criminal investigator. Today they use the title special agent, same job description. Um, And so here's the deal. Most of the arrests that I made back when I first started, most of us did this, were administrative arrests because the big concern was that we had aliens taking the jobs of Americans. So, of course, they had no criminal history. What were they doing wrong? Working and sending money out of the economy and displacing American workers. So that was a good enough reason to say you're under arrest, you're coming with me. If a person was a tourist and entered the United States legally, and took a job illegally, we arrested them. I remember one case, some guy came into the United States, and he got a job in a gas station. And we're looking for him, and there's a car that's being worked on, and some guy coated in grease on one of those crawlers, you know, a board with the little wheels on it, rolls out from under the car. He's wearing coveralls, a jumpsuit, and his name is on it. And it's the name of the guy I'm looking for. And I look at him, I said, what's your name? And he tells me his name. And I said, I'm immigration. And the first thing the guy said to me is, I'm not working here. So, I mean, think how funny that image is. The guy is covered in grease, head to foot. His hands are encrusted with grease. He's wearing this greasy outfit. His name is on it. And he says to me, I'm not working here. I said, what were you doing, looking for a contact lens under the car? Because if you were working here, that was enough. You were stealing a job. And today, all we hear is, oh, they're not going after these people because they're criminals. This is terrible. No, it's not terrible. If you lost your job and you couldn't support yourself or your family, would it be okay with you? That's the problem, folks. We've lost sight of a big part of this. The Labor Department used to run immigration. Why? Because that's how America built the middle class. And now you have the 1% is trying to create an oligarchy a fact that, in fact, was reported upon by an economist professor, I believe, from Princeton, who said that America is no longer a republic, but it is an oligarchy. How do you turn a republic into an oligarchy? You destroy the middle class. If you read 1984, the group of people that came under the greatest surveillance was the middle class, because they had the intellect and the education and the understanding, but they were poor. So they had motivation and they were dissatisfied, so they were the ones who posed the greatest threat to the elite ruling the country. So when people say, well, the guy has no criminal record, why are they arresting him? 
if he's violating immigration laws, maybe the guy's also a sleeper cell, something that people don't think about. A sleeper is a foreign national who one way or another enters the country and waits for that phone call, the email, or the tap on the shoulder telling him tomorrow's the day. So when people say, well, if he has no criminal history, why are they bothering him? Because if that person is taking a job, there's a very good reason to bother him. He stole a job. And to someone who's desperate for a job, if you've ever gone on job interviews and you had bills to pay and no money coming in, how desperate were you for that job? How would you feel if you found that you had lost your job because someone from another country got your job because that person would accept wages that no sane American or lawful immigrant would accept, you see? But we hear the lie, oh, the guy had no criminal history. Why are they raiding? And it's always a rate. They're raiding. And then the other story you hear is these jackbooted immigration agents took the baby from the mother's arms in bed in the cold winter night at 3.30 in the morning. That's one of the biggest lies I've ever heard, and I've confronted it. And I had a mayor, I believe from Princeton. We, we had a, an open forum. Let me tell you, it's a lie. You can't enter a house at 3.30 in the morning unless you specifically get a nighttime warrant from a federal judge, and the circumstances have to be dire. In my 30-year career, I believe I had fewer than three, three out of 30 years, three nighttime warrants. You cannot enter a premise after, I think it was 10 p.m. and until 6 a.m., So at 5 o'clock, you meet at the staging area. A quarter to 6, you're outside. And 6 o'clock sharp, you hit the door. You can't do it at 5.59, okay? But it's lie after lie. Why allow the truth to get in the way of a fake narrative? Why not convince people that DACA is only fair? And so now you have a judge telling the president, it doesn't matter that DACA was created by an executive order, and the judge is taking issue now because the administration, the Trump administration, said this is an illegal order, DACA. Well, it was. There's nothing in the law that provides for DACA. And by the way, let's remember the first word in DACA is deferred, deferred action. What's the deferred action? The required deportation or removal from the United States. You see? If, you, if you're sitting in someone's house and they say to you, well, it's time for you to go, and you say, gee, can I stay two more hours? It's, it's raining out, and they didn't bring an umbrella, and i got to wait at the bus stop. And they say, okay, you can stay two more hours. They deferred for two hours your departure from their house. They deferred. You're in a hotel, and they say to you, you got to vacate the room. Oh, gee, we're having such a great time. Can we stay two more days? And they look at the calendar, and they say, you know what? You can keep the room for two more days, but after that you have to leave. That's a deferred action. The judge basically is telling an occupant of a hotel, that person can stay here forever. There's nothing in the law that permits permanence. There is something known as permanent immigrant status, but that's not deferred action. I mean, the language itself is crystal clear. I'm trying to figure out what language this judge is fluent in. Deferred action. And what's the action? When you leave the United States. We're putting off your required departure. Again, it used to be 
so that a family could deal with an emergency. So we're putting off the date that you have to leave. Where does that make it permanent? Where does that make it permanent, folks? And the more people that apply, the more who will be able to lie. And now they can be in their mid-30s. The average terrorist is under the age of 30. What's to prevent an alien from entering the United States without inspection two weeks ago, walking into an immigration office and claiming to have been here for 25 years? If they show a diploma from a high school, what does that prove? Whose diploma is it? How do you know who the person really is? The system is so easy to defraud, and yet you have this judge, and I hope it's overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, And so, you know, these are the issues that we keep on looking at, where suddenly we're arguing how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, but no one is asking, well, what's really behind all of this in the first place? So, you know, please understand just how significant all of this is. Um, You know, and and so the media is doing nothing, and I mean nothing, to help the American people or the president be more secure in their own country, to understand the issues. The media has fallen down on the job. They're propagandists. They're not journalists. Uh, I mean, this is absolutely remarkable. Um, The 9-11 Commission staff report also had this. Exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there is evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors and corrupt government officials, Human smugglers clearly have the credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. If you, if you look at another statement, again, same report. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method, check this out, folks, their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and landmark plots, received temporary residence under the Seasonal Agriculture Worker Program after falsely claiming that he'd picked beans in Florida. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. Now think about this. Overstayed his tourist visa. He then applied for permanent residency under the Agriculture Worker Program but was rejected. Another one, Iyad Mahmoud Ismail, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa. After that, he dropped out and remained in the United States out of status. Most of these people had no criminal histories. I believe it was, uh, that it was Mohammed Atta, the ringleader of 9-11, who was stopped for speeding shortly before the attacks, but because he had no criminal history, the police let him go. There's a reason that we have borders, and this isn't about xenophobia. This is about protecting us. So understand the risks that are inherent in what is now being cre- being created by sanctuary cities and a failure to enforce the immigration laws from within the interior of the United States. One final statement. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11 hijackers, 
needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status. DACA is temporary worker status, folks, okay? Let's be clear. DACA is an element that the 9-11 Commission warned us about. Achieving temporary worker status or applying for asylum after entering. Think about the Tsarnaev family and the Boston bombing, the Marathon bombing. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. Could that be any clearer? And this judge says to the president, well, what do you mean it's an illegal order? There is no such thing as permanent deferred action. The whole idea of deferred action was humanitarian on a case-by-case basis, not designed to be used as an umbrella over millions and millions of people. So really, DACA, if it goes full blast, will mean that probably 90% of all illegal aliens, maybe 10, 20 million, not the 800,000 or 1.6 million, this could turn into 10 million or more. Why? Because we estimate that there's probably, and I've seen studies show 30 million or so, all that they have to do is claim, claim that they entered prior to their 16th birthday. And the more applications that are filed, the more quickly the machinery has to go. Uh, it's, it's Lucy at the Bonbon Factory. If you ever saw that episode with I Love Lucy and she's trying to wrap candies and the conveyor belt starts moving faster and faster and faster, so she, she and Ethel can't wrap them all, so they start eating it, they're shoving it down their dress, they can't get rid of them fast enough. They won't be able to get rid of those applications fast enough. That's what we're talking about. Or maybe think about the guy that used to do the spinning plates, except if a plate drops, imagine that it costs people their lives because we've seen time and again where immigration fraud was the entry and embedding tactic of choice of the terrorists. This is what the mainstream media is not telling you about. And if my program gets you fired up, then please tell your friends about it. Be part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. Check out my articles at frontpagemag.com, The Social Contract. If you like what you see, pass it along. Be part of that Bucket Brigade of Truth, and please get involved. Get your voices heard. Elections are coming. Politicians need to learn that we are not as foolish and naive as they hope that we are. And this is something that all of us must do. The stakes are far too high. Please get involved. I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. I know that people argue and say it's a republic, but you understand the point they're making. I'm counting on you to get involved. Please help out. I look forward to seeing you again next week, right here at the same time, same place, the Michael Cutler Hour. But meanwhile, I wish all of you a wonderful weekend. Go out there, have a great time. But please, folks, do get involved and do make certain to get your voice heard. Celebrate that First Amendment. See you next week.